Hi there, it's Mark from Third Shot Sports. You're listening to Pickleball Problems. Pickleball Problems is the show where we take your phone calls, we answer your questions about anything to do with pickleball, whether it's equipment or etiquette, tactics or technique, anything in between. Give me a call at 1-833-PICKLEBEE, that is 1-833-742-5532. Leave me a question. Hey Mark, uh, my name's Craig, calling from out in the Niagara region. Uh, my question is regarding returning a lot. Both my partner and I are quite capable of returning a nice drop shot back to our opponent. The question is, if I'm returning the lob, where does my partner position himself on the court, and is there a preferred location to drop the ball in preparing to defend the opponent's return? I was once running a group clinic, and there was this really nice woman, and uh, in the game we were playing, she was up at the net, and her opponents hit this high ball, way up, a high lob. As soon as she saw that ball go up high, she turned, she put her head down, and she ran back as fast as she could back to the baseline. Once she got back there, she turned around getting ready to play the ball, and the ball dropped and landed right at the non-volley zone, right where she was. It was hilarious, to me at least, and she did say later on that she found it funny after she got over some of the embarrassment. Before answering your question, let me state unequivocally, for the record, that your first goal, always when you're lobbed, your first impulse should be to try to hit that ball out of the air as an overhead smash. The whole point of coming up to the net is to be able to take time away from your opponents. And so a slow high ball, a lob, is this golden opportunity to take away the time from your opponents by hitting it hard. Now that I got that out of the way, let's address your question. It sounds like in your case you weren't able to smash the ball. The lob was too good, it beat you. And it also sounds like your partner is not running across onto your side of the court to play that ball. You're the one who's handling it. So you've had to turn, you're run, you're chasing the ball, and you're playing it after the bounce. Now when this happens, your opponents have you in trouble. You're running away from the net, you're chasing the ball, and they presumably are up at the net themselves looking to pounce on whatever you send them. So you're in an incredibly defensive position. You're in big trouble. And if you manage to get the ball back over the net, there's at least a reasonably good chance that it's going to be a little bit high. It's going to be above net level. Now, it might not be. You say that you and your partner are good at playing drops in this situation, which is very impressive. That's an advanced skill. But nevertheless, as you're running back to play that ball, you don't know for certain that you're going to play a great shot. In fact, it is very likely, I would say, that that ball that you send back, whether it's a lob or a drive or an attempted drop, there's a very good chance it's going to be slightly above net level, at least when it gets to your opponents. So where should your partner go? Well, what do you do when someone gives you a ball that's high above net level, especially one that's traveling slowly? If you're like most people, you smash it, you hit it hard. So in this case, your partner, looking at you, about to hit a shot, should assume that the ball that you send is going to be a little bit too high. You should also assume that your opponents are likely to smash that ball that's a bit too high. So where's the best place to be when people are about to smash a ball hard? It's back at the baseline. That's where you have the most time to react to the oncoming ball. There's no guarantee that they're going to smash it, right? They might try a little drop shot. In that case, your partner's going to have to run up to the net and try to retrieve it. But the chances are good. The odds are in favor of that ball being hit back hard. As far as where to hit the drop, well, I'm assuming that your opponents are roughly equal level to each other, and I'm assuming that they're both up at the non-volley zone. If that's the case, I would hit that drop cross-court all day long. Your target's bigger and the net's lower. And if you do happen to hit that magical drop perfectly up at the kitchen, that's awesome. 
You can run up, and then you can continue the point from there. Hi, Mark. My name is Mike Patterson. I'm calling from Morro Bay, California. I have a friend who puts her index finger up on the paddle when she holds the paddle. Uh, I know this is a fairly common grip, but it seems like you lose power with this grip uh, because it um, eliminates the a lot of movement in your wrist. Um, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that style of grip and am wondering, do you ever discourage people from doing that in your clinics? For me, there are a lot of red flags out there when it comes to technique. Poor grips, using your body ineffectively, reaching for the ball instead of setting up well for it, and trying to put unnecessary spin on every single shot people hit. And while I find the index finger thing a little uncomfortable for myself, I wouldn't put it in that category of being a red flag. I experimented with this a little bit myself, and I found that I could bring the paddle back just as far whether my finger was on the backside or not. Um, it didn't seem to impede my wrist flexion. Uh, so I don't think that the power is so much of an issue. When people do this, they're trying to gain some stability on their forehand, and having that, that index finger slightly up on the paddle uh, for some people helps them feel a little more stable. So for me, it's not such a red flag other than the fact that if that index finger is there, that's fine when they're hitting forehands, but if that finger is still there when they're hitting backhands, their finger is now taking up valuable real estate, right? It's on the paddle face. And while it's not ideal to hit the ball at the bottom of the paddle like that, where the finger is, sometimes it happens. So for that reason, I might say, hey, let's try to get the finger off of there. So you give yourself the most surface area as you can. But when it comes to the forehand, it's something I'm not really too concerned about. There's bigger fish to fry. This episode is supported by 20 drills and 10 games to play better pickleball. If you're tired of playing at the same level and are serious about improving your skills, this ebook is right up your alley. Full of fun and focused activities you can do with a partner or ball machine, 20 drills and 10 games to play better pickleball is easy to use and best of all, fun to use. Get it today at thirdshotsports.com and use the promo code PROBLEMS to save 33%. Hey, Mark, this is Bill Cabochon from Florida. Had a suggestion for something to talk about. Talking about recreation play warming up. The beginning of each day, warm-ups vary from hitting two or three balls and saying let's play to many other things. See what you think of that. I think it's worth talking about, and I haven't heard anybody else talk about it. I was reluctant to answer this question on air because I've got to confess that the warm-up is one of my major pet peeves. It drives me crazy. For the most part, as you say, people just randomly hit a few balls. They stand who knows where on the court. After they've hit a couple forehands, probably not backhands because they don't like hitting backhands, maybe they play a volley or two, and then they say, all right, let's play. The coach in me wants to yell at these people to tell them how much of a disservice they are doing to themselves. But I have learned to restrain myself. Now, however, Bill, you are opening up that can of worms. So what's the point of the warm-up? What are we trying to get out of it? I'd say there's three things. The first is we want to make it less likely that you go home with an injury. Pickleball is full of lunging and stretching, jumping, twisting, turning. And when you try to do these things when you're cold, you're way more likely to get hurt. Instead, if you warm yourself up, if you're loose, if you're limber, it doesn't guarantee you won't get hurt. But you're going to be able to stretch a little bit more and be less likely that something's going to snap. A second reason it's important to warm up is it helps us to get a feel for the ball. Whether you're using a new ball or an old ball, that has an effect. Whether it's cold outside or warm, that matters as well. And 
Because good pickleball requires such precise shots, whether you're playing a nice drop volley or a dink or a third shot drop or a perfectly placed lob, having a good feel for the ball is really important if you want to put that ball where you want. So the warm-up is a way to get that feel for the ball that you're playing with. And the third thing we want to get out of warm-up is some confidence. I want to make sure that I'm hitting the shots when it doesn't really matter, so that when it does matter, I'm ready to go. If I'm hitting a third shot drop and I'm down game point, I'm going to be a lot more confident hitting that ball if I know that I've already hit 20 today because I used them in the warm-up. I wouldn't want to be hitting an overhead smash for the first time when it's on game point. Hitting these balls in a warm-up is a great way to give yourself the confidence without the stress or the anxiety that comes when there's consequences for missing. When we skip the warm-up altogether, we're really hurting ourselves. Maybe in a physical sense, because you aren't very stretchy and limber, and then you get injured. Or more likely, because you're now going to diminish the quality of the game. The rallies will be shorter, the shots will be less precise, it'll be a lower quality experience overall. It's worth the five minutes to do it. And you, Bill, in your call, which I didn't play here, you gave a pretty um, thorough example of a warm-up that some people do around you. What we can do is we can look at what the pros do when they warm up to play a match. And it's almost always the same thing. They both stand at the kitchen line facing each other. They hit a few dinks with their forehands and backhands. They'll hit some balls to each other out of the air so they can play some volleys back and forth. We call these reflex volleys. And again, this is simulating what happens in a game. Then one of them will back up to the baseline while the other stays at the net. And the baseline player will hit some combination of low and fast drives that their partner gets to volley back to them, plus some drops that they try to land into the kitchen. So again, this person is both helping their partner at the net to warm up their volleys, but also getting some practice on these ever-important drops. After that, they'll give their partner a few lobs, so the person at the net can hit some overhead smashes, and then they'll switch. You can do a good, solid, complete warm-up in five minutes. You should probably include a couple serves and returns, but then you're ready to go. There might be people at home who say, well, this sounds great, Mark, but I've got people waiting to come on my court and play, and I'm not going to waste that time with five minutes of warm-up. So I get it. Maybe you have to come earlier if you want to do that, or at the very least, I bet you could get on an exercise bike or a treadmill or just bring a skipping rope or do a couple laps in the parking lot so at least physically you're a little bit warmer. You can almost always find a ball and a wall somewhere where you can hit a few volleys to yourself to sharpen your reflexes, or better yet, find someone else who's waiting their turn to play. Find a spot just off the court so you're not going to interfere and hit some volleys back and forth with them. It takes a few minutes, it takes a little bit of work, but I promise it'll pay off. Hi, Mark. Um, when I was first learning the third shot drop, I knew that the uh, ball had to peak on my side of the net, but I didn't know exactly where it should peak, and I didn't know exactly how high it should peak. And so what I would do is I would picture someone standing at the kitchen line on my side of the net, and I would try to just barely sneak the ball over their pretend shoulder, and I would use that as a guide to sort of uh, aim my shots when I was first starting. My question to you is, um, where is an effective typical uh, peak, and how high is it? All right, this may be pickleball coaching blasphemy, but I'm going to say it. I do not think it is smart to focus on the apex of the ball when hitting a drop. So it's true, when you play a drop, well, when you play any shot for that matter, there is an apex. And it is also true that when you play a drop, very often the apex will be on your side of the court. But, caller, as you rightly point out, that's not very helpful information. Because if I don't know how high I'm hitting the ball, I could hit the ball 30 feet in the air. It could still have an apex on my side of the court, but that doesn't mean it's going to be a good drop, right? The apex is not sufficient information to 
be able to ensure that you play a good drop. It's frankly useless. A better way to think about it starts by thinking about why we play a drop in the first place. What's the point of the drop? And this is often misunderstood. When your opponents are at the net, they are looking for a ball that they can hit hard. They're looking for something that's high. At least high, by high I mean it's above net level. If it's above net level, they can hit down and they can hit hard. That's what they want. So what do you want from your drop? Well, you want them to not get what they want. You want them to have to make contact with the ball below net level because that means they have to hit up and if they've got to hit up, that means that they can't hit very hard or else that ball is gonna go out. So the goal here is that you make them make contact below net level. Okay, so now that that's clear, we can talk about how do you do it? So I like that you're trying to visualize something. You're visualizing the person standing there and hitting over their shoulder, and that's fine, except how tall is the person you're visualizing? Are they six foot five or are they five foot five? Are they six feet tall or are they five foot one? It's tough, and that would also vary depending on where you are in the court. If you're hitting your third shot drop from four feet behind the baseline, you're gonna to have to send a different kind of ball than if you're hitting it from four feet inside the baseline. So I'm gonna suggest you visualize something else. Let's imagine there's a window, and this window goes all the way across the net. And this window is one paddle height high, maybe one and a half, okay? But you've got this small window all the way across the net. If you send your shot through that window, and you send it relatively slowly, I'm not talking about a drive here, but if you send that ball relatively slowly through that window, through that one or one and a half paddle height window over the net, there is a very good chance that by the time it crosses the net and gets to your opponents on the other side, that gravity would have done its thing and that ball will have dropped enough that your opponents are now hitting upwards. So I'd say, forget about the apex, don't worry about that. Concentrate instead on imagining this window, one and a half paddle heights over the net, and sending a slow ball through that window. Sure, sometimes you might hit it too slowly and it doesn't make it over the net. Fine, that'll happen anyway. Sometimes you hit a bit too fast and the ball sits up too high. That's okay. But start thinking about the window you're sending it through and stop worrying about the apex. And I think we'll leave it there. Thanks everyone who called in this week. If you have a question that you would like me to answer, give us a call, leave a message. 1-833-PICKLEBE. That is 1-833-742-5532. And if you think that you've got a great suggestion or tip for one of our callers, why not leave a message for us? 1-833-PICKLEBE. We'll play it on the air. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.